0: going on, good people of the internet? It is time for OnComicsGround.com flagship podcast, panel to panel, where a bunch of folks shoot the breeze and talk about comic books and such. We are here live for issue 7, episode 7, of this amazing podcast. Where we Like almost every week, pending any uh, issues that occur, we will always sit here and talk comic book news with you folks about the latest stuff going on in the industry or just in nerd culture. My name is James Portis to my right we have the amazing the awesome the senior editor and pr director of on comics ground mary how are you doing tonight
1: i'm doing okay
0: that's what's up that's what's up and to my left we have the hardworking, working the the, the the awesome batman loving and rock and roll loving uh contributor who just got off of work and ran here just to be on the show travis <laughs> how are you doing tonight uh, dirty, but paid, <laughs> paid for the days. <laughs> That's what's up. Um, that, we're, we're glad that you can make it just in time for the show. Don't forget to follow this podcast on twitch.tv right here at twitch.tv on slash on, on comics ground. Uh, follow us at, on Twitter and Instagram at on comics ground. Follow the tw- the panel to panel Twitter at PTP underscore podcast and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash on ground. And then one of our other amazing podcasts that we have here is Seduction of the Innocent. Mary, I want to tell the folks about that show because that is your podcast.
1: So what history has gone unnoticed? What changes have been made to the comic comics industry because of political influence? And what seedy underbelly lurks uh, forgotten to seduce, entice those who are less wary? Friday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, join myself and Kai as we uncover the hidden truths that the comic industry hopes you'd have forgotten. Seduction of the Innocent, a politics in comics podcast, every Friday live on Twitch hosted by On Comics Ground.
0: That's what's up, that's what's up. So the first uh, topic we have for y'all today is uh, early today during BookCon, DC Comics revealed like a whole new slew of their DC ink and DC zoom young adult graphic novels that they are releasing. We had this past year with titles like Mara and cat one under the moon that did it come out yet? Or is it, did it just come out?
1: I think it just came out.
0: Okay. Cause I know there was a free comic book day portion of it that I read for my review, but I didn't know if it was out yet. And then we also had Harley Quinn breaking glass earlier this year and and like we also had that Super Sons book where we decided to whitewash Damian Wayne which was a fun little controversy in itself <laughs> but we also got the announcement of a bunch of new ones that are coming out in 2020 with the first one coming out in 2019 also having a teaser for 2020 with Teen Titans Raven that actually had a full Fledged trailer at BookCon, which was actually pretty cool. They're having the next book in the line be Teen Titans Beast Boy, written by the same creative team team for that, which is uh, Kami Garcia and um, Gabrielle Piccolo. So, I honestly, I didn't know what to make of these young adult graphic novels at first because, like, when we were coming up, there wasn't really like, other than, like, DC kids or, like, Justice League animated, like, type of, or, like, like, Batman animated type of, like, like, kids comics, there wasn't really a way for kids to get into the comics other than just reading the direct comics, but the more I've read these stories, like, Mara Tidebreaker, I I see them as a really cool way to get young kids into these books, like, almost giving them something we didn't have when we were kids, like, is that a fair assessment on that one?
1: Yep. (laughs) I mean They're for young adults So like I mean and Scholastic's turned into a huge Book market so why would they not Try to jump on that
0: That's fair
1: I mean I, I don't think it's necessarily About pulling you know people Into you know Comic book readership I think it's just kind of selling to a market That's there. And, you know, if they start buying monthly titles, then, you know, that works out well for them. But I'm noticing the industry, in order to stay relevant, kind of has to start moving away from the sole dedication to the single-issue um, floppies.
0: That's fair. I mean, yeah. I mean, Travis, what do you think? You being, a, like, a parent, like, do you think these are the kind of books that could be, like, good for today's children?
2: Uh, I mean, it's... um. I have a, a love hate relationship with with youth adult novels. Uh, like I, I love them because like my my favorite member of the Bat family, uh, well one of them I should say she's yeah, Cassandra Cain. I read about her intro in a novelization of No Man's, and that that was pretty cool. I still have the copy. It, it was a rather good read, but. On that same hand, I just hope they don't do what YA novels tend to do. You know what I mean? Uh, I feel there needs to be growth in character, and not this, you know, forever young thing going on. That's kind of my issue. So I, I don't. With source material being comic books, I don't see that happening, but I do see that being a possibility.
1: Well, and I think DC kind of counteracts that a bit, a bit because there's DC Inc. and DC Zoom. DC Zoom is targeted for young children, whereas DC Inc. is really hard into that like 13 to 17 uh, age range because um, under the moon, the Catwoman tale is so visceral at times. Wow. I mean, um, Selena deals with self harm issues. She deals with domestic violence, and I mean, you know, all of this is a teenager and. You know, these are very real things that teenagers deal with on a day-to-day basis. I mean, maybe, maybe not the whole, you know, breaking into Bruce Wayne's house kind of a thing, but it is such a character-driven piece, even down to having to deal with people at school, that it, it has a, an undertone of hope to it, because ultimately we know the end of Captain Man's story. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't play the end at the beginning. And so I think that there is a nice divide between the two because I think, you know, where publishing runs into issues is that, you know, they'll take a story for tweens, like, you know, 10 to 12, and just slap young adult label on it and then poof, it's for everybody. But I like that they're kind of trying to separate the two, as it were.
2: Yeah.
0: I can agree with that. And, like, especially with... The next slew of them because we have um, Oracle Code. Like, it has a underscore right after code, so it confused me. But I, but I look back at the actual title, it says the Oracle Code. Like, you're giving, but we have that for, like, it's probably going to be a really cool, like, hacker sort of story for young girls. But then we have Gotham High, which is, like, trying to have weird young Bruce Wayne with Selena Kyle in a schoolgirl outfit. And punk rocker Joker, which just concerns me on so many levels. But like, I I, I think <laughs> that this could be good for kids. Like, I'm I'm not gonna discount it because this obviously isn't for us, obviously. But I don't know. I I'm I'm I'm, I'm thankful that both tidebreaker and Under the Moon were were really, really good reads. So it gives me hope for what's coming. Like the idea of Shadow with the Batgirl, that it. Like the art itself on the cover looks like it's Cassandra Kane. It's not Barbara Gordon, especially because we are getting an Oracle book. It makes me think it's Cassandra Kane and I'm just like, Yay. You you're actually acknowledging there's more than one Batgirl. Yay. <laughs> so it, it gives me hope that they're actually trying to like show there's other like like characters in the D C universe for ki- like like young adults to get into, if that makes sense. Um
1: I think I think part of the problem with the interpretation that the three of us are looking at it is that we're looking at it as comic book fans, that you know we're expecting it <laughs> to align with a larger comic narrative, but that's not necessarily the case here. I mean, you know, look at other wildly successful young adult titles like uh, Miss Marvel, Moon Girl Devil, and Devil Dinosaur Runaways. Like, these aren't necessarily pulling people into the central Marvel universe. They're just there to, you know, be consumed by a largely singular audience. And I think that's exactly what DC is trying to do with this initiative is to tap that market.
0: Okay. I mean, like, I think the counter-argument to that would be then, other than, other than, say, the new Wonder Comics thing that Bendis is doing, like, why aren't these being done in a single-issue format, like, similar to, to how Marvel's doing with those two titles, or those three titles? Like, you know?
1: But that's a publishing thing. Because graphic novels take a significant amount of time to do, and there are delays, and it's pushed back, and whatnot. And Wonder Comics is, you know, supposed to be the in-between scholastic fodder. That, you know, you have to publish in a single-issue format if you want it to be a trade. Because if it's not a trade, then it has to be a graphic novel, and graphic novels are not published in monthly chapters. Yeah. So you know you have you have your big hits like Ink and Zoom, and then you have um, uh, Wonder Comic trades to put in there. So that way you have essentially a rotating stock. It's retail theory, is what it is.
0: Okay, I dig it. Um, well, for, like, so I guess we are in agreement here that these books are showing promise. That like. These things are good, and these are targeting an audience that definitely could use this kind of material. I mean, like, honestly, out, out of, the, out of the, the the four that are solicited, I think my favorite two are going to be the Oracle one and the uh, Lost Carnival, a Dick Grayson graphic novel, because that just looks really cool. And then I'm just kind of looking at this Gotham High thing like, why? <laughs> honestly,
2: I'm really excited for Gotham High. There's There's a huge part of the... The high school gang fighting manga nerd in me that wants this, <laughs> like, uh,
0: <laughs> like yeah, I want that.
2: this so bad.
0: <laughs> like, I, I dig how Bruce and Selina look, but like that haircut on a Joker character just concerns me on so many levels.
2: It's it's wild, <laughs> to say the very least.
0: I uh, just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 gonna just be hopeful for it because like. It, it, it definitely looks kind of cool, but I don't know. Um, but yes, we're, we're hopeful about that one from there though. Um, We we, want to give a special shout out to Aggressive Negotiations, our Star Wars podcast. Monday nights uh, just got a whole lot more galactic. Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast brings you a weekly roundup of news, reviews, and general discussion of everything to do with the galaxy far, far away. You don't need to be force sensitive to enjoy this podcast, brought to you by On Comics Ground. Be sure to tune in on on Twitch every Monday night, 8pm Eastern. From there, though, I I, I was going to do uh, one top, actually no. You know what? Let, let, let's let's get this one out of the way, and then we'll get into the Marvel topic. Um, so, because, like, I, I feel like the the, the second topic is going like to, the, like, the one, the third topic. The third topic is just going to be me and Mary yelling into the void, so I, w- I want to knock out this one first, <laughs>
2: okay? Uh, you want to knock out me yelling into the void yeah. first, all right. <laughs> I, I, I thought
0: you were okay with, ba- with Travis. What happened? I thought you were okay um... with Pattinson. I
2: I still kind of am because uh, honestly we I I haven't seen him do it so I have to give him some credit but I'm a little more scared than I was before
0: I'll be honest why what happened uh, well for, well, for who, those who don't know um beginning of the week we we found out that. Robert Pattinson has been confirmed to be approved by Warner Brothers to play Batman in um, the, the, the Matt Reeves Batman movie. And along with that, we got confirmation that Robin is rumored to be involved. And instead of the originally rumored Penguin and Catwoman, there's rumor that Riddler could be the main villain. And I, 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 I want to know why you're scared, Travis, because you, you, you were pretty hyped last time we talked about this. What happened?
2: Okay, well... All right, so if I'm going to break it down into a, like a nutshell of, of movies, if you're going to make a serious Batman movie in any form, it's going to boil down to a vigilante like organized crime flick. You know what I mean? Oh, so wow. Penguin is is a great natural fit, and Cobblepot has a lot of history with with Bruce as well, and with the whole billionaire stuff that they do and all that. So it would it was a great dynamic that I was kind of hoping to see. Okay, um, Catwoman. Uh, I, I I feel like that's the hype train, to be honest with you. Um, so I I cared less about that. I am kind of glad that we're getting Robin instead of Catwoman. My issue comes in with Riddler, because if this is to be a serious Batman movie, and I when I see Riddler and I think serious Batman movie, I cannot be the only one that thinks the Jigsaw Killer, right? <laughs> okay. And so that's what I'm afraid of. Is I, I I want this to be like a gritty, like urban crime movie, and not a borderline gore flick. You know what I mean? Because we we all know what Riddler does. These are all just epic traps that'll kill somebody if Batman's not good enough. And to be honest, if it's going to be a good movie, Batman has to lose at
0: some point. I mean, I feel so... like me and Mary being the horror junkies wouldn't mind a jigsaw villain for Batman. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But, I mean, Riddler has a distinct flair and personality, and leaning too hard into the horror trope could turn a lot of people off.
0: That's true. That's true. I mean, when I first saw the idea of Riddler, my my initial thought was, they could easily just be adding Robin to the idea of doing Scott Snyder's Zero Year. Like, that's your template, just fix a couple of the problems that Zero Year had and just make it work. But, like, When I think horror Riddler, my immediate thought is half Arkham and half... Uh, t- two thousand three Batman, where like Riddler was hella emo and walked around with that long black like oil slick hair. Like that was my immediate thought of having a really like con- like like super hardcore Riddler that wants crazy like like contraptions to kill people. But like he'll turn it off if he saw the saw the riddle. Like the, 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 there's that idea of there being a fail save of you solve the riddle and it's done. Like you're fine. I I, I don't know. Like. Uh, that's just where my head's at.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I can understand. I, I'm also kind of afraid of like typical movie tropes taking over in the name of horror, not being the the undertone. Because, okay. like for example, um, I always go to the Nolan trilogy because it seems to be a staple <laughs> in Batman movies. Um, but in The Dark Knight, when the Joker does the whole. Which boat's gonna blow up the other boat, type of thing? That seemed very Riddler to me. So, I, okay. I they mm-hmm. could maybe do a spin on something like that. I could I could live with that, but I, I just don't want to see straight up Saw Seven.
1: <laughs> okay, no, I agree with
0: Travis. I, I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm, I'm against what you're proposing, I'm just like. It could be fun, and, like, they could finally make Neil Patrick Harris the Riddler that I've wanted for so long. But also, like, everyone keeps wanting Josh Gad to play the Penguin, so I'd be down with that. Like, give me Penguin and make it, like, super mob-heavy, because for so long, we've been, like, resisting the idea of a really good detective. Like, Batman, we just want to have him be heavy gadgets with, like, like high stakes and stuff. So, I, right. I, I, I feel as if... Breaking Bruce down to his hardcore like detective skills would be kind of a good movie. So, I, I, like I said, I'm not against it. But I, that's what that's that's about that it for me. But I will say that I'm hopeful for Robert Pattinson. At first, I was like so against it because sparkly vampire Batman did not seem like a great idea. But then I was like, wait a minute, he's been in other things. He can. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that's why. Like, even on the last episode, I was like, "Give me a, like like a suit test shot," and that's when I'll be like, "Okay, I'll let you slide. Let's see what you do." Like, that's why that's, so I'm, I'm gonna stick with my original rating of. I, I I need a test photo. I need, like, the Ben Affleck against the Batmobile type shot. I need that. And if you can pull that off, like, hell, I'll take, like, a Bruce Wayne in a tuxedo at a gala or something, and if he looks decent enough, I'll let it go. And also, I need to see who's playing Alfred. Like, I, I, need, I need to know who, who's going to be, a get, like, like, opposite him in a way. Because, like, if you're not going to have A-Robin, and that's just a rumor, you need to have a hardcore Alfred regardless who can bounce off of him. Uh, like like to like, to that perfect level, Mary. What do you think about yeah. Matt Pattinson doing, Like now confirmed.
1: Oh, like I said the last time we talked about this, I'm fine with it. I mean, he's got the look for it, and he's more than just Twilight. And I, I I don't know. There are a lot of people who are limiting it to just that performance, and it like it bugged the hell out of me. I'm not gonna lie. But I mean, as with any Batman actor, we just kind of have to play the waiting game. So, that's
0: what's up. That's what's up. Um, for, 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 like, with that, it's time for Mary and I to yell into the void for like, <laughs> like five minutes. Um, so it was confirmed that once again, um, New Mutants is going to be delayed, and with this delay, there are confirmed to be reshoots again for this movie, and I just <sighs> like. Just like, just put it out on Disney Plus, people. Like, don't even give it a theater release. Just put it out on Disney Plus and let it go. Like, that's where I'm at. Because initial trailers had me interested, but the more this has gone on, it just feels like you're running in circles. The actors are at least almost two years older than when they shot the movie. And it's just spinning its wheels. Like they just finished Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones was on hiatus when they shot this. So to think that we have to now go backwards to do this—it's just, I don't understand.
1: Well, the reshoots haven't happened yet. I
0: thought there was a, there was originally reshoots that, that 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 had the first delay occur.
1: Nope, I'm looking at several different articles right now. The reshoots never happened. Uh, they were believe- they were supposed to or believed to have happened, but they never actually did. And that's probably because Maisie um, Williams was doing Game of Thrones. And then, you know, they switched production companies halfway through. So, no, the reshoots were never done.
0: Oh, I totally thought reshoots happened. Okay, then, like, still, it's just... Like, why can't this thing just happen? <laughs> Especially when we know that X Men is going to be on like hella hiatus after Dark Phoenix, Phoenix hits theaters. Like, why isn't they? Why aren't they just letting it go? Like, I don't know, Mary. How do you? I
1: mean, this? Uh, I mean, like, there, there's nothing we can really do about the situation, and so far we haven't seen a budget for, at least not that I can find for New Mutants, so they've probably sunk a shit ton of money into this. It's possible. And especially, especially during Game of Thrones, Maisie Williams probably doesn't come cheap. And, you know, they got one of the guys from Stranger Things. So there's probably a lot of money being thrown around, thrown around with this. And they have to recoup some of that cost, so they want to try and push out, you know, something polished, I suppose. But... I mean, they're adapting Demon Bear, which is kind of the new mutant storyline. Yeah. So I mean, it's just I, I don't really know what to think about the movie at this point. I like the horror setting that they have because the new Mutants always kind of edged very, you know on on, on the edge of that, especially with Danny Moonstar's powers. Mm. But, I mean, unfortunately, at this point, it's kind of just a wait and see. I mean, I don't know if Demon Bear would have been the story to start with. But, I mean, hell, at that point, you just might as well start at the beginning. But Yeah. I don't know. Um, I'm pretty much reserving judgment and just watching that one trailer to death. So <laughs>
0: how many times have you watched it?
1: Oh my god, a couple dozen. I mean, because the trailer is really well cut and I mm-hmm. like the horror vibe. But like there I have hype for this movie. I really do. I'm a massive new mutants fan. And like I want to be hopeful, I want it to be good, but I think this movie was just kind of made at a really inopportune time. Agreed. So we'll see what happens with it. See, like, I feel as if they would have been more
0: like if they would if they would have waited and let like it waited till an era when like Disney would have came in or just had the idea on someone's desk for a while, and then Disney would have picked it up as like like a, ooh, what's this, and then made it happen it could have been really cool but i'm i'm, I'm very cautiously optimistic because of the fact that you're trying to make a spin-off of the x-men around the same time as the x-men franchise is about to be put on death notice until D- until disney revives it like it feels like um gifted in a way where it's like you're trying to make like a, a new sand castle out of the one that's just been knocked down, you're trying to make something out of out of the remains of the rubble and i just I, I don't see why it's happening like don't get me wrong i I, I love the new mutants i I've, I've, I always have and i am happy that some of my favorite characters are on the screen, but i just i, I I'm, I'm conflicted and I, I I don't understand why this like this this is struggling so much.
1: I mean, movies take years, and if I remember correctly, the original script was pitched in, like, 2015. So, I mean, they've spent a lot of time with this, and the Disney deal, like, it went through a hell of a lot faster than anybody was expecting. And honestly, I am in the minority here, but I don't want Disney anywhere near the X-Men. And I'm not a huge fan of the Fox movies. I mean, some are better than others, but I don't... I don't know. I'm going to start getting myself into trouble with this. But <laughs> I don't think... I don't think the MCU is a good fit for the X-Men.
0: See, like... E- no, because here's the thing. I agree with her. But at the end of the day, Fox shot themselves in the foot so much that I'm at a point where I'm like, man, l- let's see if it's not horrible. Like that's that's pretty much where I'm at. I'm I'm, I'm resigned. I'm like, I I I wish Fox could have got their crap together and made something good. Like I was hopeful after D- Days of Future Past. Like I'm, I I really hated that Nicholas Holt really wanted to be, have his real face on screen. So he kept acting like Beast could just turn his stuff off and on. I hated it to death. But like. Other than that, I really enjoyed the idea. I loved First Class, even though they killed the one black mutant they had. Like, the, it was a good movie, and so was Days of Future Past, but that Apocalypse was garbage. And now Dark Phoenix, like, despite a few good things in it, it just looks like it's the last leg of a person who's already been shot. And I, 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 I hate it. Like I, I I want it to do well and maybe Disney will be like, Okay, we'll leave this universe alone, but we know that's not gonna happen and I wish it wouldn't have struggled the way it did. So yeah. I, I'm I'm at a point where I'm just like, Eh, give it like five, six years, let Disney reboot it and let Disney make a decent fantastic four movie and I'll be happy. Like <laughs> eh, that's what I'm at. I mean,
1: Fantastic Four should be done before the X Men. Yes. It it absolutely should be. But honestly, I think the failing of the X Men films tends to be the fact that they just rehash the 90s team over and over and over again. This is true. And I mean, and even in the comics, like, that's why the X Men keeps going stagnant is because people can't let go of the 90s cartoon. Preach. And, like, don't get me wrong, the 90s X Men cartoon is one of the best superhero cartoons in existence. Yes. I think, honestly, second only to Batman the Animated Series. Okay. But That's fair. you need to kind of let it go. It's the same issue I have with um, Justice League, uh, the Justice League cartoon, and um, the Teen Titans cartoon is that, like, yes, I understand that these are the teams that people are familiar with, but there are multitudes of different characters in these properties. That, I mean, if you lined up all the mutants, you could probably just wrap them around the Earth kind of a thing. And I think people are getting bored with the Cyclops gene dynamic. Lord knows I am
0: oh bro like when they revealed at the, well, the tail end of last year the the X-Men disassembled poster that had like Jean front and center and like Psylocke and Storm supporting her and like a brand new diverse like generation of mutants it felt so like groundbreaking and then like five issues into the new uncanny run hey Scott's back hey Logan's back and he's in his retro costume I'm like what are you
1: doing <laughs> I think it's it's just it's a narrative thing for me. It's because the X Men were always about progress and moving forward, and the irony of that is that we keep revisiting the same eight characters. So. Yeah, like, wasn't there that? High it does It doesn't help that I, you know, I came up reading Claremont's X-Men where he's just popping out uh, new mutants left and right. Like, so I got used to kind of this well-designed world with all of these new and interesting characters. But I I guess that's not what people are interested in anymore.
0: I mean, Travis, what do you think of the whole, like, X-Men Disney situation?
2: Um, I mean, I, the only X-Men I know are pretty much the 90s Incarnation, so I I am them <laughs> when you guys are, are sitting here like, I hate the 90s Incarnation, I'm like,
1: that's the only ones I know!
2: I love the 90s team.
1: I do, I love the, that the I 90s. The 90s
2: team is good, but I, I understand the need with you, and you have such a, like, a diverse, um, how do you say, just a diverse just writing pool. They're mutants. You can do what you want, when you want, but we get the same six people.
1: <laughs> well, it, to compare it, it would be kind of like every Batman movie just doing Dick Grayson because he's the only Robin people actively know.
2: Yeah, see, that's a problem. And it, what and the problem that comes with that is like, I don't know. When it comes to Dick Grayson, he's more doable with that than the X Men. And I say that because Batman is terrible when it comes to picking who his sidekicks are. That's another thing I digress. I'm um, to be
0: fair, we got Robin Blake. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, uh, uh. But uh, no, I, I think I'm kind of excited to see like a Disney budget handle the X Men, of anything.
0: Now, I will say that the argument to be had with Disney is that there's the potential for the neutering of the X-Men to the highest degree. Like, uh the the idea of, like, prejudiced topics with the X-Men in an MCU universe is going to be really hard. And now, granted, Stan wrote them to be an allegory for racism or for bigotry in general. But... There is the high risk that the wrong person is going to be handed that script, or or or, or be handed the, the, the pen to write that script, and the wrong allegories are going to come across, and we're going to end up with Bobby. Are you are you are you like able to not be a mutant? Like, Ugh! <laughs> like I just, I don't want that again. <laughs> like just that allegory alone was just uh so I, I'm I'm hopeful. I, I I I'm cautiously optimistic, but I agree with Mary that I wish this wasn't where we ended up. That we have to like go to the, the Disney and be like, okay, can we get something decent? Like that's that's where I'm at with that. But in regards to New Mutants, I'm just kind of like, I wish it would just come out. I, and I just like I I I wish it was coming out under better circumstances. But from there. We are going... Wait, back to my screen. Because I was watching the stream. Um... From there, we are going to uh, like do one more quick. Uh, sh- uh, wait, wait, did I do that one? Yeah, I did. Um, we are going to do one more quick shout out to our other amazing podcast, <laughs> amazing our uh, uh, Spider Man podcast, Living on the Edge. Uh, we may not be able to do whatever a spider can, but we can sure talk about it. Tune in uh, on the second and fourth Thursday of every month to Living on the Edge, a podcast for Spider fans from Spider fans. On Comics Crowd hosts our resident webhead Alec and special guests as they bring you the news, reviews, and discussions about all things Spider-Man. Only on Twitch, J. Jonah Jameson, eat your heart out. This podcast has been amazing. I love that Alec brought this thing together, and I've I've enjoyed guest starring on it, talking about all the recent Spider-Man movies. We're talking about homecoming next week as we gear up for Spider-Man, um, the newest Spider-Man Tom Holland movie. Uh Far From Home? Far From Home. I couldn't think, because he titled the, the series uh, R- uh Road to Far From Home, and I was like, no, that's not right. So I was trying to think. But no, this has been amazing, and I, I hope you guys check it out next week when we, we go into it. We had an amazing episode last week hanging out with YouTuber Godzilla Mendoza, and I'm glad this, that this has keep going on. Um From there, we're going to get into our main topic of the evening, which has been this event that has been going on for... What oh, oh, five or six months now? Because they did double issues in each month for some of them. Tom King and Clay man's Heroes in Crisis from DC Comics. This event has been source of controversy, a source of frustration for many people, and uh, like for some people, really like this series. I I I I want to make that clear from the jump before we get into this. That if you like this series more power to you if you love tom king and what he puts out good there were so many people that defended tom king as a writer this past week when there was issue of wondering why he was being taken off batman and as he was transitioning to a maxi series for the ending his batman run i was like i don't agree to a certain extent that but but i still love that so many people are able to support him in his writing and love what he puts out like, I love some of the stuff. I love Mr. Miracle. I love Vision. There's some things that I don't enjoy. But at the end of the day, I want it to be known, as we sit here and have this discussion, that if you love the Heroes in Crisis, if you love what Tom King puts out, everything, cool. Enjoy it. But I do want to sit here and have this topic with with my co host here and discuss some of the things going on in this book. So, issue one starts and Batman, Wonder Woman... And Superman walk in on sanctuary this program that they started where it could be a source of counseling and mental health treatment for the superhero community and it has been just ravaged there's uh, like de- dead heroes everywhere and they don't understand why this occurred and it leads to this originally it was supposed to be seven issues and and then it got extended to nine issues, trying to figure out what happened at Sanctuary. And I, the the first issue felt like the ultimate like shock to the system of this is gonna be some hard stuff to talk about and hard stuff to read for a lot of people. To an extent, I kind of wish it had a um like a sensitivity warning for some people or a trigger warning because it, it's some heavy stuff and it's 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 like I Mary can you help me out here because I, I I'm trying to like process how to word this and I, and I, I just I don't know um,
1: I mean I'm not 100% sure what you're trying to say
0: like the like the, <clears throat> the issue like like, the, like the, the, the issues dealt with in this book are really heavy and well yeah And it's, like, a lot. So, it's very revealing.
1: Yeah. It is a difficult book to read at times because there are a lot of different depictions of very different types of trauma. And I don't want to get too much into the portrayals of mental health because Because I am not a mental health professional, but um, my wife is. And um, I had her read the series as well, and she was not 100% okay with the way that some of these issues were presented, that it was seemingly just homogenized into trauma, as opposed to breaking it down better but i think where the storyline ultimately tripped and fell was in marketing and execution because it was marketed as a book looking at the mental health of superheroes which if done right is a very intriguing topic however this you know, uh, th- this journey into the, the mental health of a superhero was ultimately just a backdrop for a murder mystery. Yeah. And it just, I, I think that's, that's ultimately where the plot line failed for me is mm-hmm. that it said one thing and then delivered another. And in my personal opinion, um, th- this is just my own personal opinion I feel that this almost perpetuates a bit of a negative stereotype that everyone with mental illness is going to have some kind of a violent response.
0: And, and but, like, it's I I I agree with you and that, this the, the the not even the first issue parts of the first issue and the second issue show that this could have been something very well done. And I I really wish that this was in a format similar to Mr. Miracle where it's technically could, could be said not to be in canon. Where this could be an isolated incident where we could like, look at the mental health of superheroes and have a real discussion. But the way Sanctuary is done where it's like robots designed by Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman to care for these people comes off kind of soulless and also the amount of death and and destruction on this little farm setting to the the larger DC universe. Like I I remember uh, reading someone's article on this, that a lot of it was minor heroes. No, not only did the first issue depict the death of Wally West and then even more stuff that happened to Wally West, But we had Roy Harper die. We had multiple different Teen Titans die. We had smaller characters. We had a JSA member die in Steel, who's on television right now. Like, this wasn't just like, oh, we're going to explore the inner workings of the superhero here. It's, we're, like, I I remember there was even an article in the DC Universe magazine, like, teaser book they started. And then it kind of, like, fell off really fast where it had a whole splash page of who's going to die and it was like that's not how you should be addressing this and it just it leaves me not like it, i i felt kind of numb rereading this entire thing this past week and i just i don't know like i i like am i, am I the only one that's kind of like has an issue with how sanctuary is done
1: no I, I think if you look at Sanctuary in terms of traditional treatments, um, a, a facility run by robots and the primary treatment being immersion therapy, like, I, I did not like the setup at all. And, you know, as, as someone who regularly visits her psychiatrist and is on and who is on lots of fancy psychiatric medication, um, it mirrors almost nothing of the psychiatric care and the therapy that I receive and go through. So it, it, it was just very like, you can't even say clinical. It was just very hands off. It just kind of looked like this is where they just ended up dumping people. Yeah. first thought no, I'm just kind of trying to process my thought. Go ahead.
0: Travis, what do you think about all this?
2: uh heroes in crisis was uh that was a tough one for me to be honest with you because like are we gonna go through this issue by issue or, or can i kind of summarize I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump thing.
0: around. i got three main topics that i want to talk about i want to talk about okay, like
2: i uh I, I i i was i wasn't a big fan of the the murder mystery underneath all of like i was i was wanting to see like the scars of my heroes does that make sense mm-hmm. yes yeah uh, and uh, so that that was really important to me because it was something that like Tom King has done before with uh, Mr. Miracle and the vision like I never thought I could hate Wanda so much, mm. but I hate Wanda so much. So I was really hoping for that level of emotion with this, and I just didn't get it it all it all felt really uh, disingenuous. maybe is the word I'm looking for.
0: And like, 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 I like that you said that, because I think at the end of the day, Tom King had some really good intentions with this book. I I really do, because when you look back to when Heroes in Crisis was first listed, and even as the book went on, he had some really like powerful things to say on social media about how he really cared about these characters and wanted to talk about the inner workings of superheroes, because he he dealt with it a lot in, or is dealing with a lot of it, in Batman right now, and debatably, like, is... Like like doing a decent job of it. But and then but in Mr. Miracle, the struggle that Scott Free goes through. Like the 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 stuff that goes on that book is heavy. So you, you it gives you the idea that this might be a really good story, but then it falls short of what he wants it to be because of like it being hidden under the murder mystery. So like Yep. I just And 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 Another thing that's really bothersome about this is the lack of continuity in this book because like dude because like not like because we we we, we kind of had the problem with the DC universe right now where like it's half the new 52 and half the pre-new 52 because of Superman reborn so it, it's all like everything's continuity and like we kind of got the first hint of that in Dark Knight's Metal where Green Lantern referenced uh, Aquaman's hook hand but mm. this book, like, not only do you have them re- referencing pre New 52 stuff with Wally, but you have Lagoon Boy, who is still the enigma of this book. And in, in issue two, I legit thought this was going to be Tom King's way of helping Jeff John's narrative of the, the rebirth by saying that, like, Lagoon Boy's been here the whole time in a coma ever since pre New 52. And the whole thing that happened during Final Crisis. I legit thought that that was going to be his way of, like, backdooring that. But then, nothing. Because there's this whole thing where, during Lagoon Boy's emergent immersion, th- immersion therapy, he's reliving what happened to him in the Titans East during pre-New 52. In uh, Judd Winnick's one, like, like so- solo, like, like, one solo issue. And you see that and you start to think this has promise of like being bigger than what it is. And then nothing happens with it. And I, there's so much random stuff, like on almost every variant cover, there was like Superman dead. And then like Aquaman lost his hand, his hand. Uh, One cover had wonder woman killing Maxwell Lord. And it raises all of these questions that I just, I don't know. Mary, do you have any idea?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not 100% sure, because like you said, the continuity issues in this series were really, really frustrating. And I don't. I think Superman Reborn, while an absolutely fantastic storyline in my opinion, is going to be used as a very convenient backdoor. Because, you know, they can easily say, oh, hey, this thing reset during this storyline. So, uh, unfortunately, I think it's going to be a backdoor. And it's just the the narrative issues in this book are so frustrating. Because, you know, you, you have a lot of these side characters that nobody has seen in years. You have a... Blue. I mean, like, you have these characters that people haven't seen in years that have not existed since before the new 52. And, first of all, it completely removes a lot of the emotional connection from the book. Yeah. I mean, the the emotional thing was a lot of people pointing out in those first couple issues, okay, Roy is dead, okay, Wally is, air quote, dead. So... Like, that was the emotional high point, not, you know, a hot spot being laid out into a field like that. Okay. A lot of people had no emotional connection to that character. I did, because, you know, we've been reading these characters for a long time, but, you know, imagine this crop of new readers that have come in in mass since these reboots and whatnot, or people who are revisiting for the first time since the 70s and 80s, that, you know, th- it, These are from that weird post-Infinite Crisis, but pre-New 52, that weird timeline. Mm -hmm. And so, it's just... I, I don't pretend to know the supposedly, you know, always four steps ahead mind of Tom King. I think that he has a lot of ideas, and not all of those ideas end up being brought to fruition through the course of his stories. Because yeah, I, you know, that's fair. there are elements in vision that I feel like never actually get wrapped up. That um, Jim Zub had to come in, uh, not Jim Zub, excuse me, but Mark Wade had to come in and kind of, you know, try to mop up some of that with Viv. Because, mm-hmm. you know, her the end of her story was largely left open-ended. And whereas you can see it was done, and I'm air quoting here, by design, it's a frustrating plot point. And I think that he had ideas for including some of these characters and whatnot, but we never actually saw it wrap up. It was, okay, we need to thin out the roster. Let's sit here and chuck some characters into the wood chipper.
2: Like, and then the, I had a huge problem with the theme. Because secretly between the three of us, I've been cramming this the entire, well, what I have left (laughs) for the entire episode. And so I just got (laughs) to the end. And uh, does anyone else get the vibe that Tom King is telling people it's okay to commit suicide? I'm just going to go out there and say it because that's what this feels like to me. That's what this feels like to me. It's okay if, if the big people don't know. It's just, we have to kill you though because of the things that happened. That's just, it uh, uh, that hurts.
0: Mary, I'm going to let you go first on that one.
1: See, I, I, I think that's kind of where we get into the dangerous territory with a lot of this is that the way the material is presented is not done in such a way that that intent. Comes through, as it were, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, because I definitely think Tom had great intentions here.
1: But he writes with this really kind of a wannabe novel esque layered, again, I'm air quoting, layered plot that, you know, might work in a book. It would. But doesn't necessarily translate to comics very well. Yeah. Mm. And I almost feel like if you wrote something like this as a book, it would work well and you have, you know, time to expand on all of these points and these ideas, but you know, nine issues you don't really have a lot of time yeah. and, you know, room to be able to fully explain what you mean here. And I've noticed that Tom King always tries to leave some of his plot um, open-ended, <laughs> like I was just saying, because he wants people to, you know, and I'm just, like, I'm constantly air-quoting as I'm talking, so just, you know, envision me doing that, but <laughs> <laughs> essentially wanting people to draw their own conclusions. Well, cause like, and it's like,
0: I agree with you there, because um, if you notice... A lot... <clears throat> a lot of his Batman run. It had little mini... It had... Every arc had a theme. And then it would have little Easter eggs that would lead into more. And then stuff would round back. Like, he started with, with I Am Gotham. And Gotham Girl, like, sat on the bench for a while. And then came back and became a bigger player in the mix. And, like, even had little... Like, like uh delvisions here and there. Like, he like, had different pieces like Bane and, like, Skeets and stuff like that that were leading somewhere and now are, like, leading up to this giant thing in City of Bane, and, like, it's very obvious that Tom King works in a long-form format, but giving him the whole toy box of the DC Universe for originally seven issues and then him going, what, I need two more, like, it, it wasn't enough. So maybe a novel would have been better for him, I don't know, but, like, or even a graphic novel and said here's your full. Here's your few points to cover in a small amount of time might have been better. I don't know.
1: I think this would definitely have worked better as a single released graphic novel. I think breaking it up into essentially monthly chapters did it no favors because it shifts in tone dramatically. Like from issue yeah. to yeah. issue, there can be massive shifts in tone. That's
0: very true. Because like you go from the whole thing with the death, and then, like, Booster and Harley chasing each other, and then Booster calling him Blue Beetle, which makes no sense, because the last time we saw Ted Cord, he was randomly trying to be the, the like, like, the the guy in the chair for Jaime Reyes, so it makes no sense why he has his own Blue Beetle suit, and it's just, ugh, and I just... I don't, but, and then, like, you have the whole thing where randomly Barbara Gordon is trying to work with Harley Quinn to help find the murderer, like, like the murderer. And I'm like, huh? Uh, it's just, there's so many different side things. And that's a whole component in itself. The entire thing of Booster and Harley being sent on this, like, MacGuffin quest to find the killer. It detracted from the entire situation because you have the murder mystery going on while going into the different interview tapes and it, it's the biggest shower of or the, the biggest the biggest viewpoint of you had two different ideas for a, for a, for a book here one, and then the one obviously overrid the other to the the greatest extent and in the end you killed a lot of characters and left one character horribly scarred
2: dude like, oh, and I, I think that's my my biggest problem with this whole story right here is that what like the way they made this whole time continuity a must with with Wally West. Like, I I understand he wanted to talk about mental health and maybe shed some light upon it, but I kind of feel like he skimped on his research pretty heavily. Not and not only in in where he was like bringing the stuff up but kind of how he executed it. And that kind of ties into the question I asked earlier cuz it comic books are fiction. And the beautiful part about fiction is you can do what you want as long as you make the words sound good. You know? So if he were to take the speed force and make it to where Wally didn't have to kill himself and, you know, put it like a semicolon on
0: it type of thing, I would be fine with that.
2: But the way it ended, I'm just so Not okay.
0: (laughs) And that goes into the topic of Wally West as a character recently, where in the new 52, you had so many fans that weren't, (coughs) that weren't happy with quote unquote. Now Wallace West, thanks to Jeff Johns. Now granted, we love representation here. Representation is good. Black Wally West wasn't the problem. It was that they got rid of ginger Wally West and everything about him. So a good number of fans wanted ginger Wally West back. And Jeff Johns gave us that, and it had this whole thing where Wally is going to be the linchpin of fixing the universe. And then in the other book that came out this past week, with the final issue of Doom of uh, Heroes in Crisis, not Doomsday Clock, Doomsday Clock, it shows that not only Wally is the bigger piece of the puzzle, but so is Clark because of Superman Reborn, and the two forces colliding in. Doomsday Clock showed that there was a bigger plan going on with Doctor Manhattan. So for J- Joshua Williamson adjacent, because Flash War led with Wally being sent to Sanctuary, but then Tom King as 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 a, as, a, as a whole, sort of ruining Wally West as a character when he had such a big force, <laughs> Speed Force, in the entirety of the DC Universe for the past. Three years, it leaves a. Like, not only have you ruined a character, it leaves so many questions for the future of DC Comics. Like, yeah. Like, I, I, oh, I, yeah. I like to use the metaphor for Marvel where it feels like no one's driving the bus over there right now. But at DC, it feels like there's multiple people trying to drive the bus and it is just going off of a cliff because of it. And I don't know what to do here with this because you have Scott Snyder trying to bring hope and power into the universe with justice league and the new justice initiative. But then like half of his new justice initiative gets shot in the foot because like Titans gets canceled and teen Titans is about to be canceled the way it's going. And like, Justice League Dark, by the grace of God, is still here. Same thing with Odyssey. By the grace of God, they're both still here. I don't know how it's possible that official... I think it's official now that Justice League Dark has survived more issues than its original New 52 counterpart. I might be wrong about that, Mary. We'll have to check about that. Um, and, like, there's this whole thing going on there. But then, this book has left such a dark mark on the repair of the DC universe that Jeff Johns was, was brought in to do with DC rebirth. So I don't know what to make of this. What do you guys think?
2: Uh, John's shoes are just too big to fill. (laughs) Maybe that's what's going on. Um, I don't know. That's, that's kind of what it feels like. (laughs) Is it because, because when you think about Jeff Johns and DC, the first thing I think about is infinite crisis, you know, Mm. So as soon as Tom King gets the toy box as you said earlier he goes oh 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 ooh, ooh I'm going to do a crisis and then we get this you know what I mean which it, it wasn't it wasn't a crisis as far as all the other crises in DC history are concerned I mean that's the other all that, those, that's
0: the other reference that a lot of people were, were were claiming that this was a very similar to identity crisis
2: Yeah which was just we we know what happened with identity crisis it was not it was not it that was good a it it, it it was bad. And so like this we have an intelligent attempt at something and it turned out dumb because of it.
0: I mean to be fair, how... we didn't set anybody on fire. <laughs> That's the one good thing that happened here. We didn't set anybody on fire. Uh. <laughs> like it, this, this could have been a lot worse, but like it, like like praise Tom King for having some brains but like I just, like, again, I'm not knocking Tom King. I just, I I believe in my heart of hearts, because here's the thing. Tom King doesn't, does, no creator deserves the hate that he's been getting. I may not like what's been going on in this book, and I may not like everything that goes on in Batman. Like, the rage I felt when he smacked, when Bruce smacked Tim Drake last week, I was, mm. But, like... I, I, I am never one to be okay with harassing creators. I'm not down for it because these people are just being brought in to play with some toys and tell a story for a little bit. Or in the case of indie creators, telling their own story. So I don't agree with what he did here, but I do see a lot of merit in what he was trying to do because there is heart here. When you look at these interview tapes, and then especially in the, especially in the, the final issue, where you see I don't know how but everybody going back to sanctuary as it's being rebuilt and from seeing what Wally said and trying to voice their opinions to these robots and tell their stories while the whole Robins thing was really annoying and didn't make a lick of sense like Oh, like Tim's this and Jason's this, but who am I? Like that was that was weird. But as a whole, the idea that the 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 superhero community has a venting tool and has a therapeutic tool, while the i the therapy itself isn't like agreeable for us, I I, I think Tom King had some good things i like in his head here, but overall it didn't really work. Like. And it, and it and it leaves this uncertainty to the rest of the DC universe. Like Mary, is there do you have any predictions of what 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 can go on from here? Like we know we have Leviathan going on, but like what could be 2020 DC at this point?
1: I'm honestly not sure. I think they are realizing that they're in trouble because um Of just like the sheer amount of controversy they've garnered over the last year and year and a half or so, that I think the issue with Batman number fifty didn't go the way that they wanted it to, and that, and I'm not sitting here talking about the merits of the storyline or where it ends up. No, I'm talking about the backlash for it yeah, is that it was marketed up so highly, like, so, it was marketed so heavily as, you know, the seminal Batman issue kind of a thing. And then Ugh. it was, it was a fancy bait and switch. Yeah. And I think a that got... One. What did you say?
2: A super fancy one.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, I think a lot of people felt duped that it, it felt
0: people got like what well, it was very that night <laughs> dude oh, <yeah>. people order <laughs> wedding cakes from the comic shops
2: how many artists did they hire just for variant art in a story that was meaningless Oh, oh
0: my lord that that sketch cover that, that Jim Lee did is still going from, like 50 to 100
2: oh i know <laughs> it yeah.
1: I mean, and, you know, especially if you pair that with the backlash of Kitty and Colossus, not even a month later, like, you know, or a month (laughs) or two later.
0: Fantastic Four made a joke about it when Ben and Alicia got married.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and it's just kind of, you know, I, I think comic readers are to the point that they're getting sick of cash grabs. And I, like, again, I'm not arguing merits of story or anything to do with that. I'm arguing the way they presented it is, it it blew up in their face. And I think a lot of people got very angry. And a lot of people just kind of went, you know what, whatever. And, If you look at the shakeups that are already starting to happen, I mean, we saw a lot of books get canceled. We're seeing some just kind of slip by the wayside a little bit. And I think they're starting to... I mean, I feel like I'm not really making a cohesive point here, but I think they're starting to realize they're in trouble. And I think that's why they keep dumping more and more stuff into the Superman basket. (coughs) Excuse me. (laughs) into the Superman basket is because I think they need to kind of give Batman a chance to cool off for a little while.
0: Yeah, because I I feel like and there was the whole thing where Bleeding Cool made it out that um, the reason why Tom King was taken off of um, Batman was that Immortal Hulk sold more for like a month. But like, I, I think people are realizing that for the first time since scott snyder was on the book that batman is really oversaturated and Mm -hmm. you're like like granted he's always oversaturated but like even when um scott snyder was writing like there was a point where right before the eternal process started and then everything happened and robin war happened there was a period where like it was just batman And then Batman-adjacent books. Like, the only other non-sidekick book involving Batman was, like, Talon. And that's it. So, like, I feel as if now where we have Batman on multiple books, Batman on so many different things, like, there was a point where Batman was on his book, Detective, um, Justice League of America and Justice League, and and was launching a couple other things. Like, he was getting ready for Metal, and was getting ready for Outsiders. Like, Batman's gotten too big, and they need to back off. So, yeah, Dude. I, I, I've noticed that, that, that Superman's becoming more and more prominent. That's why Leviathan was like, here, Bendis, do a thing.
1: <laughs> well, and I think um, something that really kind of sparked, um, you know, the thought for me, that I think DC's realizing they're in a little bit of trouble, is the fact that they're dropping double shipping next year. Yep. And Batman and Detective Comics are have been double shipped since Rebirth. Mm. I mean, you have other titles. Like, uh, Wonder Woman is inexplicably still being double shipped. And isn't Flash being double shipped, too? Flash is
0: being double shipped because of the uh, like Year One and Justice League is still being double shipped.
1: Double shipped. And, you know, those are perceived kind of money makers, if you will. But the fact that Batman is being dropped from double ship kind of made me raise my eyebrows a little bit. And again, I'm not, you know, for the third time, because I know somebody's going to listen to this and get mad at me. <laughs> I'm not talking about storyline no. or anything Tom King has written. <laughs> I just want to make that triple clear. But I think sales numbers do absolutely play into this. I think the backlash for any reason has kind of made them sit there and go, "I don't know if this was the best move for us." So I think that they're, you know, giving him a mini because Tom King does really well in minis. Heroes in Crisis sort of being the exception mm-hmm. that. And, and, I, and I was worried about this going in. I feel like he can't maintain, you know, multiple issue. You know, they they don't remain cohesive. I think he's really reliable in short bursts, yes. but not yeah. a lot of not a lot of writers have you know sixty plus issue staying power. And I mean because, you know, having one writer on a book for, you know, more than twenty or thirty issues is becoming a very rare practice these days.
0: It was I first think the time last time that we heard that a book was gonna hit a hundred issues. We were so used to relaunches yeah. that it seemed like uncanny to us that it was gonna happen.
1: I yeah. mean, it, it, if, if you lay out DC, I think the last time that they had a writer go beyond 40-some-odd issues was, I think, Marguerite Bennett in Bombshells. Wow. Because she, she wrote over 50 issues of Bombshells. And, I mean, because, you know, uh, Scott Snyder was on for the, in the entire New 52. And, like, if you look at those two, I think they're really the only recent examples of that happening. Where we didn't have, you know, rotating writers regularly. Yeah. Or, you know, this writer needs a break. Let me, you know, have somebody step in for a story arc. Like, no, like, these were on for these entire books. And we don't see that a lot anymore. And I think this is ultimately where the problems with Batman started. I think I I have seen a lot of people say that they think Tom King reads better in trade where you have the whole thing in front of you.
0: I can definitely see that because like I've read, I remember when I reread Mr. Miracle, like the first issue I was like, is that it? And then I go read like one, two and three. And I'm like, this kind of works as one giant thing. Like, he seems like he does better in one giant collection rather than like little little pocket-sized things.
1: I mean, uh, Sheriffs of Babylon did really well in trade. Vision did wonderfully in trade, and I love Vision. I I mean, except the whole (laughs) killing Victor Mancha thing, we'll have words about that in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Don't touch my runaways, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) But it's... I don't know, like, if you look at the way the storylines play out, like, you're going to reference something that happened 24 issues ago that doesn't necessarily work in a single issue format. Yeah.
0: But from... And, the-
1: like, okay. I feel like I'm not really making a cohesive no, point. I'm making, sorry you're for you're
0: that, making that a very good point. You're making a very good point. Um, but we're gonna go ahead and ra- and wrap that up there. But, yeah. as a, but as a whole, I I I, I want to still make it clear that like we still think that Tom King can write good stuff. Don't get it twisted. Like we we, we love Vision, except for Victor Mancha, as we just said. We 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 love Mister Miracle. Like I was on board. Like I still think that Batman number one from DC Rebirth was one of the best single issues of 2016. Because of how it's, like, so on board with with what it's doing. And there's that whole moment where where Bruce is, like, on the the intercom with Alfred going, is this a good death, Alfred? Would they be proud of me? Like, that felt genuine. I genuinely think that Tom King has talent. But I still think that... uh,
1: Undeniably, he's very talented.
0: Yes. But, like, this book has a lot of issues, with only a little bit of good in them, And it just... It, it, it falls short for us. Um, Oof. um from there though, we are gonna go ahead and um like give you our recommendations for this past week that you can check out at your local comic book shop. Mary, what is your recommendation that people should check out this 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 past week? Uh
1: um, my recommendation is Superman Leviathan Rising because holy crap it was really good.
0: Why is now, it now
1: it's Admittedly, I'm a little biased, <laughs> but I'm I, mean, I, I am a massive fan of Superman, and, I, and I've been kind of lukewarm on the whole Bendis' Superman thing for a while now, but Bendis traditionally does well with larger events, Civil War II being the obvious exception, yeah. but every writer has an exception, yes, but if, if you... <laughs> If you give Bendis a big enough sandbox to play in, he tends to do fairly well. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, he's also being propped up by Greg Rucca and Matt Fraction. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Greg Rucka alone is an absolute titan in the industry.
0: But add a Fraction um, to that, I, it's freaking amazing.
1: But adding Fraction to that doubles that. And, because um, in the book we have the tease for the main... Um, Superman Leviathan event, and then we had the intros, if you will, for Greg Rucka's upcoming Lois Lane book, and Matt Fraction's upcoming um, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen book, and so it it, it was a fun play of different themes in it, because, you know, we have (laughs) the big Superman event, and then we're going to have the investigative book with Lois Lane, and then we're going to have the wacky adventures of Jimmy Olsen, Mm -hmm. so... I'm interested to see how this all ties together. And I got Manhunter back, Kate <laughs> Spencer. So I'm already on board for this event. So you should check it out. <laughs> Be forewarned, it is a $10 ratio. Damn. And a girl is not happy about that. But anyway, right. that's my recommendation.
0: Okay, Travis, what is your recommendation that you and I both loved this past week? Yeah. That that was like, oh, oh. I'm so
2: glad you're letting me take this one because it's the last night. uh, It's the last night. Oh, my
0: God. I'll nerd out about about my book in a minute, but I'll I'll, I'll nerd out with you (laughs) about this. Like, oh.
2: Dude, oh, God. The last night, I. I, honestly, it's – if I were to see Morticia and Gomez reunite, that's what it feels like when I see uh, Capullo and Snyder come back together. That's that's what it feels like, you know. Oh, 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 my God! And just I need to know what happened. It's it's very enigmatic, which is kind of not new at all for Snyder's writing, but he mm. does it in a way where I'm I'm left guessing. Like there's a whole lot of what in the hell is going on here kind of moments, but I'm not upset by them. Because it's the first issue, and I'm sure we're gonna get some more answers. Yes. Like, oh my God, there's so much to there's so much going on. Like the the end of the world is apparent. Uh, Batman is somehow the cause and has also made himself a force of nature. Justice always reincarnating itself. So that's fun.
0: <laughs> it reminds me uh, of uh, the Batman two thousand three show at the in the finale where. Uh, Batman says the mission is never over like that's exactly what this feels like
2: <laughs> right like and it's just the new Batman comes out and just Diana's just super resentful to him and you just see that there's this animosity going on but you don't know why exactly and it's they're, it's, they're doing what exactly what they did in Death of the Family where they're just kind of like holding the, the Joker Batman fun In front of you just for a moment and then they're gonna shove it in your face and it's just gonna be it's gonna be so good it's uh yeah pick up the last night definitely grab that
0: also i i I didn't think i'd be okay with almost bald wonder woman but they make it work capullo makes it work (laughs) yeah (laughs) mary did you read last night
1: i haven't gotten to it yet
0: oh i I think you'll really enjoy it like in uh, honestly this book is literally just Old Man Logan for Batman and it and it works. Dude. No, like you think you think that sounds like heresy, but it works. <laughs> like it's, it's a, young
2: Batman at least. <laughs>
0: like like legit, they 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 like take young Bruce Wayne and throw him into like basically old man Logan. And like almost like they took like young Logan and threw him into the old man Logan universe. Like it works so well and it leaves you just like because it, like Capullo's artwork definitely screams Capullo Spawn, and it's just like, oh, uh, like I need it. Um, yeah, but no, definitely go pick it up Last Night. Go pick up Leviathan. My, I'm, I'm gonna shout out two Marvel books as they gave out two, two DC books. Um, my first one is Fantastic Four number ten came out this past week. I admittedly was hesitant about Dan Slot taking over this title. Granted, I was happy that Fantastic Four was coming back in general, but. Dan Slott has proven to me that he knows this this family. He knows how to do them right. And there's this moment at like there's two moments in the, in the issue that I love. One is um Valeria Richards and Moon Girl having a have, having having a, a like a, a brain dick measuring contest and it's the funniest thing. And then there's the moment at the end of the book where um, the, the Fantastic Four have to go help out with the War of the Realms event, and um, the kids are left with Moon Girl, the guard Yancey Street, while they're gone. And that moment feels so family strong that it just like it reminds me of Hickman Fantastic Four, and I love it. So like I, I I'm very happy that Slot was given this title. Like at first it felt like the Thing Show because Slot wrote the Thing miniseries, but now it's it's starting to feel like that family book that I wanted again. So I'm thankful for that. And then the other shout out for Marvelous Week is Space Wakandans. um Space Wakandans, uh number twelve for, uh, from uh Tana Easy Coats. I mean it's really Black Panther number twelve. I will admit that, but I call it Space Wakandans because ever since Marvel Legacy number one, Space Wakandans has been this fear of mine that wasn't gonna go well. And each, it, in each issue that comes out, Tana Coates proves me wrong that Space Wakandans wasn't a dumb idea. It actually ends up working out really well. So I just I need him to explain the the time like sh- the timeline of events because first it was like three years passed since T'Challa left Earth. Then it goes like, 13 years passed since T'Challa left Earth, and I'm just like, what? (laughs) And like, he's still apparently the chairman of the Avengers while all this is going on, and I'm just like, huh? So, hopefully in August we get an explanation about how he did all that time, like maybe it's just space time, but... I'm, I I definitely recommend anybody who has been wanting to get a Black Panther, go back and get the trades for this run. It's really good. You don't need a lot of Black Panther knowledge to know about the to, to get into this book. It's literally just space Wakandans, and like they rename a couple characters in this book after characters that are in the movie. So it's easy for casual readers to get into, and I highly recommend it. Um, but we're going to go ahead and, and wrap up this show for you guys. Don't forget to follow us on Twitch right here on twitch.tv slash on comics ground. Don't forget to, to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at on comics ground and follow the, the podcast, Twitter at PGP underscore podcast. And as well, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash on comics ground. Travis, what is your closing statement for episode seven? Go. Uh,
2: read Heroes in Crisis because it's going to be important later. <laughs> you,
0: you definitely get that because it actually, like, it feels like it, it'll probably be important later. The fact that they mentioned it in Doomsday Clock, what, number three? It tells you that's going to be important later. Um, you got anything else you want to add? Um, also just
2: pick up The Last Night. that That's, honestly, out of all the Batman saturation going on, it that's kind of the beacon over there.
0: Okay, okay, Mary. What is your closing statement for episode seven? Um,
1: just just make it easy and just bring back milestone. Just bring yes! back milestone. Yes! <laughs> just bring back milestone.
0: Just do it. We just need it, okay. And my, my closing statement, as always, is support your local comic book shop. I agree with Mary. Bring back milestone pick up last night and honestly we we may not like heroes in crisis that much but you might like if you really love tom king and what he's doing if you like what this book is about please read it don't just be discouraged by our opinions please give it a look on your own merit and, and check it out we're just like like, like like three nerds talking about stuff we love but you might still find some merit in this book so check it out if you want to check it out at your local comic book shop Uh, we will check you guys out next week for more comic book news and discussion about nerd culture peace out